0: I'm Veronica Starr, and welcome to my blogcast, where I'll be covering topics relating to holistic vocal coaching and personal stories relating to singing and performance in general. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram by searching at SoulSingerCoach, and don't forget to check out my online course, Sing with Soul in 7 Weeks, on my website, SoulSingerCoach.com. This is Episode 8. An interview with singer, producer, and educator, Dr. Isabel Anderson. Welcome to my first video Zoom interview, my soul singer friends. I have to admit and disclaim that on my side, I wasn't as prepared with my audio recording and regrettably recorded myself with AirPods. Never again, listen, learned. And instead of spending another week trying to fix the mix, I had to give up on that nonsense because hey, content is king. And wow, do we have some content for you today. I was so surprised and privileged to have hosted this interview with such a distinguished guest. Let me tell you all about her before we start this extended video episode. Dr. Anderson is a powerful, dynamic woman who has swathed her own path through the jungle of the recording industry by becoming a self-produced musician. Her four solo albums have amassed over 25 million Spotify streams, and her sound works have been performed on international stages. She has been published in journals such as Organized Sound and the Journal of Sonic Studies. Between over 20 years making, performing and producing music, a PhD in Sonic Arts, and a passion for creating music tech education spaces for women, Isabel's career embraces a sense of independence and experimentation. Isabel is proud to produce and host the critically acclaimed feminist music tech podcast, Girls Twiddling Knobs. This is all part of our overall vision of helping musicians learn to record and share their music without the confusion or overwhelm, so the world no longer misses out on their unique creative voice. Let's have a listen to some of Isabel's music first before we get into the interview.
1: Tease me.
2: Welcome to the Soul Singer podcast, Isabel, or should I call you Dr. Anderson?
1: Isabel's fine. Okay.
2: Um, (laughs) You know, I'm very curious about your doctorate in the Sonic Arts. And can you please tell us a little bit about what that entails? What is the curriculum like? And what was your thesis about?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, Sonic Arts basically covers... Everything that is the study of sound as an aesthetic material, let's say, as an aesthetic device or element. So um, that's that can be everything from, um, you know, really experimental composition all the way through Mm -hmm. to sound synthesis or the um, sound effects for games or 3D virtual worlds or, you know. So it's basically everything and anything that is using sound as an artistic medium and then wow. yeah so it's it's um as you can imagine a little bit like music like different courses will cover different aspects of that cuz it's so big but the 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 kind of route that i went into was very much around um what's called spatial audio which is basically how sound is spatialized um so that's you know things to do with stereo but also 3d um binaural recording um and binaural playback and ambisonics and all that stuff i i I know i'm probably saying words that for a lot of people you know don't necessarily mean a lot but basically how sound is spatialized and also psychoacoustics and how we perceive sound how we relate to sound emotionally how our brains um you know imagine sound and therefore hear sound differently Um, and also field recording and soundscape composition so working with environmental sound as a compositional material Um, and electroacoustic composition which is basically um, using sound to create compositions with technology is probably the the best way to describe that so quite experimental quite kind of um sometimes quite um complicated I guess quite complex sometimes very very simple and my thesis was the title was my words T- trace a path encounters with place through voice performance and field recording and it was really looking at how sound using sound as a kind of conduit to explore identities of self and their relationship to identities of place.
2: Wow that's amazing. Is that, is that published somewhere? Maybe I can provide a link in the show notes after so people can take a look at that.
1: Yeah, I think, I think you can, I don't know if you can read it in full from Queen's University. So I, I did my PhD at Queen's University Belfast, which has a special okay. Sonic Arts Research Centre attached to it. I think you might be able to get it through their library, but I also think that you can, I think I've got a download on my academia page so Mm -hmm. like I'm
2: interested for for purely I mean
1: mean um, the website
2: yeah yeah it's for purely personal reasons I mean everything that you've said has got me going off into like exponential directions and stuff when you're talking about frequencies and emotions and even uh neurology and um how sound affects us and and then getting into really what's so popular is the, the gaming aspect with the 3D. Uh, this, I think most people would know it as surround, that surround sound experience mm-hmm. is probably the old school version of it. But I think we're getting into 5D mixing now and, and stuff in, in dance music. But, um, anyway, I digress because this is not my area and I'm not going to lead myself down a path that I can't find my way back home. Um, <laughs> So uh, let me, I'm going to get to something I can relate to a a little bit more. Um, I had a few listens to your album, Chalk Flint, and it feels like I'm witnessing a deeply personal rebirth for you. And I'd like to ask about the period just before you started recording this album, if you could please take us through some of the challenges and, and limitations you were facing at that time and the impact that had on on your identity
1: as an artist yeah um there was some kind of um big limitations and big um liberations as it were I guess in the period leading up to recording that album um it's interesting like nobody's ever said that it sounds like a kind of a rebirth or a um before but i think in a way it was but it was also the death of something too if that we, i know they always go together but um so leading up to to writing chalk flint I, I i'd gone through a lot of different health problems over many years and by the time i was writing and releasing chalk flint i'd really got to a point where that was making you know any kind of normal activity really hard um, because I'd injured my wrists and then the the kind of chronic pain condition that I suffered from for a long time then meant that that became chronic. And mm. so lots of very, very normal things that we all take for granted or many of us take for granted suddenly weren't possible. So even making myself a meal wasn't possible, let alone writing and recording an album So, um, and I'm always someone that's written on instruments and I'm always someone that's produced my own work as well. Um, So that presented a big challenge, but it wasn't just about, you know, obviously making the album. It was a challenge in terms of what I was going to do with the rest of my life with that being present and being at the time I was, how old was I? 30 30 something 31 i think so you know the idea of kind of um looking out into the expanse of my life and being effectively disabled in that way um that that obviously was really difficult so i was in a i'd been going through basically a long period of kind of the loss of my health and mm-hmm. so i was very much um i wouldn't say i was in the darkest phase but i was one in one of the dark phases let's say um and then but at the same time for the first time in my life i was making money from my music so my third album in my garden was racking up millions of spotify streams and i I am a totally independent artist so um that all of the income from that was mine so for the first time ever, I was just living off my music and that felt incredibly liberating. And I was in a position mm-hmm. to apply for some great funding in the UK and work with some fantastic people. And so this album kind of represented like massive limitations in how I normally worked, but also just having that um, being at a stage in my career where I could throw a bit more money at it, work with some fantastic people, check off some of the things that had been on my bucket list for a long time and make an album that for me was basically the album I'd always wanted to make, you know, and finally be able to do that.
2: It's interesting how it's, ju- you know, the liberation is juxtaposed to a lot of limitations. It um, almost seems like it's really a subset. Maybe it wasn't as, as big as an impact that I, I had originally assumed it's um you know um i suppose maybe your identity was all was already quite solidified as an artist and this was sort of a like a subset setback it didn't have as maybe as big as an impact as i thought
1: i think um you mean the kind of health problems
2: yeah yeah you know, the, i think the you know, just just as an aside, um, because I don't play a musical instrument. I, I, you know, for many reasons and many excuses, I never uh, picked up a guitar or anything. I had attempted, but I started programming in order to, uh, I, always, I always had to use technology, but I also had a partner who was a multi-instrumentalist and a producer. So it was a division of labor and I never really had to really go there. So when uh, we split up, I would have had to, um, I basically lost my wrists as well. (laughs) So I was on my own having to um, go into a learning curve for uh, technology and stuff like that. But um, um, yeah,
1: yeah, I don't. I mean, I think that it, I mean, effectively what ended up happening is also that I, um, is also that I then strained my voice and because of the way that, my body processes injury that became chronic, and so for it meant that I couldn't tour the album after I released it. It meant that I spent at least six months pretty much locked in. I couldn't speak. I couldn't. I mean, and I'm not I, when I talk about wrist pain. I'm like, I can't write. I can't text. I can't type. So it's not even like it's just affecting my music. It's affecting everything. um But then not being able to speak meant that I just basically could hardly communicate and so my my then I really just had to step away from my career you know um mm-hmm. and I think that I always was going to have to do that and I think during Chalk Flint I was really trying to not do that but in reality uh, that was I don't know how I would ever have kept going the way you know in this in the kind of physical psychological emotional state that I was in so mm-hmm. yeah I think um no, I think it was hugely challenging. But I think that, like I, like I was saying, when you've, and I'm sure you can relate to this and other people, when you've been struggling financially so long as an artist, to then be in the position where that that stress is left for a period of time, that did feel incredibly liberating. So I was able to actually pay for help to make the album. That would have never have been the case before. But I guess also that I I was quite established and I was quite experienced by that point. So... I knew the things that I needed to focus on to get the album done, even with those limitations.
2: Oh, fabulous. Well, it sounds like a a tremendous triumph. I I can't wait for our listeners to hear a little bit more, um, uh, you know, a little bit more of your music. Um, So if if we go back to, say, like your childhood, how did you come to realize this gift for music that you have? Was there a key person in your life that inspired you at the very start?
1: I think there was probably a few people. I think I remember very clearly um, getting to about 10 years old and being in the choir at school and then being singled out as, you know, you should take a solo and then realising, oh, right, I must have a good voice. And then moving up to secondary school. And um, I remember we, we had a rock concert every year. So, you know, you could pick whatever pop song you wanted to sing and sing it in front of the school. And I remember doing that in the very first year of secondary school. um, And I was about 11 and I remember the whole room going quiet and I was absolutely petrified. And it was that moment I was like, okay, this, this is something like, no, hardly anyone else, you know, has that effect. This must be something serious. And then Mm -hmm. I just kind of, um, it just went from there really. But before I ever wanted to, sing or be a musician i wanted to be an artist and i think that's always stayed with me is that really deep down at my core it's more that i want to be an artist and and a kind of bigger sense and Mm -hmm. i happened to kind of most easily and i guess in a way most instantly fulfillingly communicate that through music and through my voice um Mm -hmm. But I think that's what's meant that when I haven't been able to make music anymore or sing anymore, I've still been able to tap into that creativity that I mm-hmm. think was just there. that was there all along. You know, um, and I think I think a lot of people who are that way inclined kind of probably grew up feeling a bit like a little bit of a outsider. And I always had that feeling as a kid, always I don't know where that came from. I just always felt like I was slightly on the outside looking in at things, especially at other people, and mm-hmm. and I think that th- that's the artist in me. I think
2: mm-hmm. it's almost like artists are um, introverted extrovert. Yeah, I'm very much <laughs> in a that. sense. Yeah, yeah I, I can certainly relate to that. Most people would uh, say, "Oh, are you? You're shy, really?" Like, well. <laughs> you know? But you you have to express yourself and you do what
1: you have to do to get it out there. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, and I think that, so it, you know, I, I always remember from a young age really observing things and reflecting on things and but also getting quite weirdly spooked by things or overwhelmed by things. And I think that was my kind of artist sort of slightly um my artist brain sens- on that overdrive, you know. Yeah, like sensitive, I guess. Yeah. Sensitive nature, yeah. Um and I think I think that's what I noticed first as opposed to any particular medium like music or anything else.
2: Mhm. Mhm. Like your neural system is is taking in all this uh mm-hmm. the dimensional world and you yeah, know you're, so.
1: you're
2: gifted with multidimensional expression. I think yeah. so yeah.
1: In, in your song reading
2: and Sorry, oh, sorry.
1: And I'm just thinking of people—people people who encouraged me. Though I—I I was very lucky that my parents were very encouraging. My grandparents yeah. were very encouraging. I had a school where they actually did have some good music provisions, um, some good music teachers. So just to make sure, I—I I give a shout out to those people because I did have some some great support in that way.
2: Oh, it's it's so great to be blessed with that nurturing at uh, in those developing years, for sure. You know, it, it's um. In, in your songwriting and, and in your singing, um, I really feel your expression as being very intimate, poignant and, and soulful. You know, I hear this deep yearning for, for truth and all these complex emotions that come with women, with womanhood. You know, I don't hear that too often. Um, so what are the, what would you say are the key themes that come up for you personally when you're writing?
1: Well, I think that in a lot of my work, you can see some quite you know um common themes that we would all associate with songs like you know, unrequited love and um mm. relationships and rejection and all that kind of stuff. I think that there's always been a a kind of a thread of almost like smuttiness in my writing. Like I do, like to kind of put in some, yeah, just some stuff that's about sort of sex and humor and even slightly grotesque. I mean, that's I I would say that's quite subtle in it. But if you you know if you become a Isabel Anderson fan, you would probably recognise some a little bit of smuttiness in there, which is very much, I guess, my personality. Um, I think that I've sometimes drawn on. Traditional stories from the British Isles to sort of think about how we, how we, I guess, how we package up people in a way. Like there's one song that I wrote um, called Morverin's Lullaby, and it's about a traditional Cornish um, story from the southwest of England. And it's about a mermaid who falls in love with this choir boy and forgets that he can't breathe underwater. So when she brings him down to. At home he dies um and I think that there's just something interesting about how those kind of traditional folk stories um Mm -hmm. can give us these these archetypes to look at people and, and you know and sometimes that's in ways that are very stereotypical gender wise or whatever else but sometimes they're in ways that are really quite subversive um yeah so I, I definitely draw on that in, in order to kind of become or share different parts of me. And, and sometimes I use that kind of traditional storytelling uh, influence to do that, I guess. Again, it's quite subtle, but if you listen to a lot of my stuff, you might start kind of picking that up. Um, another Mm -hmm. thing that I think does come through is this connection with places that I've always felt very, very, um, just very kind of, um, connected to, to place and fascinated by what, what it is to have for some, for a place to be a place rather than just a space. Um, and so I think that my music, some, some of my songs are really grounded in specific places or, even just general kind of types of landscape to, and also uses that to communicate things to do with me, relationships, other people, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I, w- I was speaking to, um, uh, an English professor many, many years ago, and I asked him to critique one of my short stories and he said, what was missing is a sense of place. Mm-hmm. And, he was talking to me about that that is really um really the cornerstone of really good course storytelling is um that sense of place and i really hear that in in your music um you know i almost thought that you were you were celtic um you know it has that sort of um there's a longing and a yearning and a a deep romanticism i find with some of with some of this music and it's Mm -hmm. Very definitive. Um a very definitive sound. Uh that uh, I think you carry through. Uh, but you also have your own um original rawness um that I quite like. And um I haven't picked up on this smuttiness, but maybe it's because I'm a meister myself, and I think that's pretty normal. <laughs> you
1: know? think, do you know so, what? I'm thinking that, because you were yeah. mentioning Chalk Flint, I think it's in my uh, probably yeah. more in my earlier albums. I think Chalk Flint became a oh. bit more political, actually, thinking about the content. So Chalk Flint became, because I was a bit older, and I think a lot of my love life stuff had kind of settled down. I'm, I'm still with the, the person that I was with when I was writing Chalk Flint now with very much kind of happily settled down. So I think that um chocolate became more political, so it became about um yeah, it kind of became about i, I guess about um staying alive, like surviving in a way i guess mm-hmm. and um, like a a woman a woman's place, yeah, I think so, I think so i think um, yeah, like there's a song which is called um four two eight four slash i'm alive, and that's about mm. the um, abortion rights movement that was going on in Northern Ireland at the time because it was still illegal there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's still it's legal now, it's problematic though. But, um, so that's about a woman's story of traveling from Ireland to, the, to England to access um abortion services. And 4284 was the number of women who'd traveled just the year that I released that song. Four thousand two hundred and eighty-four oh. from Ireland to the the rest of the UK, as in Ireland and Northern Ireland, to the rest of the UK because Ireland is obviously not part of the UK, but Northern Ireland is. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. So um, and then and then there's another song called "Watch You Leave," which is about my grandma, and that's about Alzheimer's and her her kind of uh, watching her leave, but not being able not being allowed to, in a sense, because. She was still technically mm. alive, but you watch that person kind of very slowly leave. Um, mm. so yeah, I think there's um there's a few there's a few different strands. Um, but I I guess I called it chalk flint because it was very much kind of coming back to I guess I was in a place where I was able I was old enough to feel like I could revisit something of my formation. And so chalk mm-hmm. and flint are the two um, notable sort of, what would you call them, rocks or mm-hmm. rock materials in the landscape where I grew up. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of use that to talk about my formation as a human as well. Um, That's
2: that's very dynamic indeed, Isabel. I could think about that and ponder for the next uh, half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's, um, I I really want to dig deep into your back catalog now and uh, take more listens to it. I was really impressed by uh, the, you know, it, it has a, chocolate is a really good, um, it's probably one of your more in quotes pop. um records um, but I still hear that experimental nature um, in the production in the and in just the overall production vision yeah. um, so good segue to um, your technical skill set you know mm-hmm. you you have some really valuable technical information for musicians on your website femaleDIymusician.com. com. And one of my favorite lines in there is when you talk about training your ear to listen like a producer. Mm. So, when we as singers are listening to ourselves in a recording, what are we listening for in a in a technical sense? I mean, there's I suppose it's um, uh, there's the performance aspect, and then there's the frequency mix aspect. Mm-hmm. I'm Not sure if that's a fair question, but.
1: Yeah, it's a fair question. I think it's a really important question. I think um, particularly any women listening to this will, you know, I I think it's a really important skill to have to be able to listen with a producer's ear. Now that doesn't mean you have to know everything about music production, recording and audio engineering, but it does mean that you can listen to your voice beyond the performance, you know? Mm -hmm. So what you would want to be listening for are, really if if we take let's say you're you're able to listen just to the voice recording on its own it hasn't got lots of you know other instruments going on or other sounds going on if you just listen to that voice recording maybe you've done it at home maybe somebody else has recorded it for you one thing I would be wanting to look at listen out for are reflections and what I mean by mm-hmm. that is a lot of the time you'll be able to tell that something's been recorded in a small room, like a bedroom, because you can actually hear the reflections of the sound waves bouncing off the walls back into the microphone. And in an extreme sense, that's what you hear when you're in a cathedral or a big hall. You hear that reverb, you know, and you clap your hands and you hear that reverb and that ring. But you can, your brain is so clever that it can even decipher it. if it's very subtle and say if you record in a bedroom and you've got no sound treatment um it will then those reflections will come up in your recording so i would be listening out for i'm just imagining people who might be recording at home themselves i'd be listening out for those reflections and i would be using some absorbative materials to tame those reflections um but if you were in a studio you'd You'd also want to be listening out to that. Hopefully you won't have any reflections or very, very few because you're in a studio. But then also, yeah, the next thing, the next biggest thing you want to be listening out for is the is the frequencies. So um, does something sound warm and full and rich and deep or does something sound airy and thin and maybe even a bit raspy and abrasive or does something sound really muffled and muddy And, um, you know, it's hard to really work out. There's not a lot of clarity. All of those things um, are generally related to EQ as in the frequency. And so if you're listening back to something that you've recorded or somebody else has recorded, especially if you get sent a mix or something and you hear your voice and it's been treated by a producer, then I would be listening out to see, do I like the tone of this beyond your performance, beyond the natural grain of your voice? Do I like how this has been produced? Do I like the fact that it's got clarity on the high end? As in, you can really hear those nice, um, let's say, uh, what what would you call it? Punctuation. What's the word for the S's and the the clarity on that? Um, mm-hmm. And then also, but but is there still depth to your voice? is there so many mid and low frequencies that it's overpowering and it's starting to sound muddy, you know? So I would be starting mm-hmm. to listen out for that. I know that if you're just, if you're new to this stuff, that can feel quite overwhelming even in a, of itself. But at the very least, I'd just be listening start listening beyond your vocal performance and start tuning into the tonal quality of the recording, whether something sounds like it's been recorded in a nice clean, dry space or whether you're picking up those reflections. And then even in terms of the overall track, how is it balancing out volume wise? How's it balancing out panning wise and just listen to a pop song, even just stick a pop song on and start listening to how many instruments can I pick out in here? simple as that Mm -hmm. that will start training your ear to be more like a listening like a producer like a reference track yeah it could be a reference track I mean but just stick your favorite artist on and a, a lot of the time what we'll do is we'll naturally listen to the thing that we're most experienced in or most drawn to which for a lot of singers will be our voices if you're a songwriter it'll also be the lyrics and the melody um but listen beyond that so force yourself to listen to the drum beat force yourself to pick out how many instruments can i hear um challenge yourself to see if you can pick out where there's any volume changes or where you know there's some different effects being used you don't have to name the effects you don't have to know what they are but just to start noticing that and really mm-hmm. paying attention to that that's the beginning of training that ear to be like a producer um,
0: i love the production world
2: I, i'll probably always be a student uh, at this for the rest of my life Speaking of production itself, you know, I'd like to see if I can get your technical viewpoint on something that's been bugging me for the last little while. When I started to come back online after uh, a bit of a hiatus due to health issues myself, I started my course and coaching journey last year, and I started researching Okay, what what's happening now? What's new? What are other singers doing in karaoke groups? And I came across these karaoke apps like Smule or Ultra Star Deluxe or Sing Plus. I was listening to some of these recordings in duets people were doing and I thought this can't be real. These effects are so heavy and you know, it was so popular so I thought okay, well, I'm going to open my mind and try it and it for me it was horrible like singing into iPods and rather than using a proper mic in a basic studio setup it just felt too weird for me and I was hoping you could give me some technical insight into these new karaoke apps as compared to you know DAW or digital audio workstations am I right in thinking that these apps are like Instagram filters for the voice
1: (laughs) um I mean (laughs) I I, I've never looked into them, so I'm really not the right person to ask, to be honest. But um yeah. I and I, I really wouldn't want to comment. Who knows? Maybe they're amazing. I don't know. Um but I think that, you know, for some people they'll they'll really like the way that they work and the way that they sound and they would feel more comfortable with that, just like how for some people They want to use an Instagram app rather than go and buy Adobe, you know, Illustrator or whatever and sit and do that. So uh, I don't think they're necessarily a replacement for going and recording in a studio or setting your own home studio, you know, space up. But I think if they help people play with their ideas and, you know, share stuff, then that's fine. I, I don't, I haven't, honestly, I haven't looked into these particular apps to really make a comment on what's going on technically or what difference they might have to using a DAW. But what I can say is that a lot of more recent software and apps have become much more sophisticated, you know, and if you can record with GarageBand on your phone that I'm sure there's lots of other apps where you can do some really cool stuff. And I think it's really, really important to not just, um, discount something because it's an app because i think some very very cool technology is coming out and just some very very convenient technology is coming out as well so so for example i just delivered my first um retreat all about how to start field recording and um a lot of people were using smartphones because smartphones have got so much better you can now get apps like Dol- dolby on is an amazing recording app which dolby have designed for smartphones so Definitely, I would say to anyone, don't be too sniffy about using an app to record because it's become a lot more sophisticated now does that mean that replaces a studio or replaces um creating your own home recording space? No, not necessarily, particularly you know depending on the genre and how you like to make music but um that's my take on it in general, let's say,
2: yeah no, that's really good advice because I think. Um, I sort of started out in a studio environment quite young so I didn't really know any different and I I need to learn to have fun I think (laughs) (laughs) not not taking it so seriously and stuff because I was sniffy about it to be honest I was sort of like (laughs) what is this and and because every I think it's like it's that point of head reference you know how when people are recording you know with with my monitor mix I like to have some effects because that really helps me to perform right and a good producer will help you with that um but then you're taking off some of the um you're taking off one of the headphones in order to hear your bone resonance and hear the raw unmixed aspects so that you can um hear and reference your pitch a little bit better so it just felt like I was just getting lost into this deep uh, reverb world and I was wondering how are all these people doing this and recording in their cars and everything and it's um but yes you're absolutely right Isabel I gotta you know chillax and uh okay. get with the program because so much is you know I got a new iPhone as well and it is impressive what these apps are doing and mm-hmm. and, and that's you know what I love about your female DIY musician website is How you're breaking down this very intimidating subject and making it, you know, truly achievable for people. You know, one, one tool I loved when I went online was the quiz, which vocal mic is right for you? And how you just broke down those barriers very simply that can trick us into being overwhelmed and giving up on even trying proper recording projects. Can you explain generally for beginning singers why certain microphones would be better for certain voices?
1: Yeah, I mean the biggest thing would be its frequency response. So we're back to frequencies again. But um every microphone has a different frequency response which basically means it will pick up it will be more successful at picking up, you know, low frequencies, mid frequencies, high frequencies to really kind of simplify it basically. So you could have the same microphone and or you could have um you could have two different microphones, I should say. And one of them you'll hear and it will sound really kind of, um, much, much warmer, much richer. Another one you'll hear and it will sound less so, and it might even sound a bit airy and thin. And that's partly, largely because of their frequency response. The thing is though, is that, um, everyone's voice is different as well. So, my voice could be quite kind of warm and rich already. So maybe I don't need to have a mic that's going to warm my voice up. Maybe I can stand to have a voice that's going to accentuate the higher frequencies and give it a little bit of airiness and clarity on the high end, for example, whereas somebody else might have a voice that is quite thin and wispy and airy. And they won't want that mic that's going to just kind of deepen the the lower range of their register. So It's not a case of a lot of the time online you'll hear people say, oh, you should only ever record with this mic or this mic is the best or this mic is awful. And honestly, Mm -hmm. just whenever you hear that, just know that's absolute bollocks. Um, Pardon my French, that's rubbish. Um, And it really depends on a a few different factors. But what my quiz does is it takes you through um, some questions that will help you narrow down what kind of mic you might need because as well as the frequency response is also about what are you recording so if you're just recording your voice that's one thing but if you want a mic that can record your voice and your electric guitar and your cello or whatever then that there's certain mics that are kind of known to be quite good all-rounders whereas other ones are very much like no that's been designed for a voice um but also it's what are the conditions you're recording in? Are you recording with you know, some really good sound treatment? Are you recording in a studio or a very good home recording space? Or are you just recording with no consideration of the acoustics at all? Different microphones will help you depending on what's what environment you're recording in as well so there's there's a few different factors that the I've made the quiz because I knew how confusing that could be but also that I knew people were being told don't use that mic it's awful for example in particular the sm58 which is the mic that a lot of people use live that's a wonderful mic that's really very affordable and lots of people will use it in a studio setting because it's so reliable, it has a great tone, very kind of um, even clear response to people's voices. And um, and it stands up really well between that and mics that cost thousands of pounds. So you'll often, I, I see on the comments of my, um, my quiz posts, when I do a post about this quiz, and especially if I push it as an advert to try and get it in front of people, there are people on the um, thread that will say like there's a there's an image with the the post, for example, of an SM58. They'll say, that's not even a studio mic. That's a live mic, you know, because people on Facebook are always trying to find reasons why you don't know what you're talking about. and um, mm-hmm. And it's that kind of thing. It's like, actually... No, actually, loads of mics can can respond very differently to different voices. And it really depends what you're recording, where you're recording, the genre you're you're recording, you know. So that's why I made the quiz, basically. I
2: think it's fabulous. You thought of everything, Isabel. I, I would encourage everybody to uh, to check this out. You know, and and I was excited when I saw your posts on Instagram and uh, learning about your podcast, Girls Twiddling Knobs. And I recently joined your podcast Facebook group. Mostly, I'm really impressed by so many dynamic and talented women in your growing hmm. community. And as an educator and, and a mentor, what have you been observing and, and learning from them so far? You know, are you noticing common challenges and inspirations from these fabulous women in music
1: definitely definitely and and I just I feel so incredibly lucky to have the community that I have um in female DIY mm. musician the podcast Girls Swiddling Knobs like you say there's just there's so many talented dynamic intelligent um people in there so that's wonderful what I learned from a lot you know uh, being in that community observing people in my community is there's a couple of big factors that are probably the biggest challenges. One is, um, well, let's see, there's a challenge where there's like two challenges behind it. There's a challenge where people think that they don't have the right equipment to start recording and producing themselves. Um, And when I talk to them about what equipment they have, they actually have everything they need. And so what's going on underneath that is usually um, either they've been told again and again and again that, but usually by some guys in their life that, cause they, they usually know a couple of guys in their life who are into production and stuff. They've been told by them that unless you have this, this, and this, you won't be able to produce professional sounding music, which again is rubbish. Mm. So they've been told that, or the other reason why they think they don't have the right equipment is because it's a way of avoiding actually doing the work. If you, you know, which I think a lot, all of us can identify with this. I certainly can identify with this. It's easier to pin it on an external factor than to actually say, well, do you know what? I could just get started with what I have mm. and it may not be perfect and it may not be exactly what I can see, you know, every top 10 list of microphones is telling me to buy or whatever. But if I start with what I've got, then I will make progress And I'll be further ahead than where I am now. So a lot of the time, that's the big challenge that people bring to the community or to me is I don't have the right equipment. And there's those two things going on underneath that. And then the other thing that people bring is a lack of time. And I think that's something that I have noticed in myself and I've noticed in many people I know is that we're just getting busier and busier and busier and busier every single year. I think, um, you know, obviously technology has always been there to try and speed things up and therefore, in theory, save us time. I think really what it's done is meant that we just therefore feel pressured or are pressured to just do more, to just be more productive, accomplish more. So I see a lot of the time people finding it really hard to make time for their music and again, mm-hmm. sometimes what's really going on is that it's it's a way of not doing the work. It's a way of staying in your comfort zone of being busy rather than being uncomfortable, learning something new, making music, sharing music, putting yourself out there, being vulnerable. Again, mm-hmm. I, this is not judgment for me. I totally understand this. Um, sometimes it's it's about, I think there's a difference between being busy and overwhelmed. So... A lot of us now in our culture, I think genuinely we're overwhelmed because we're overwhelmed by the amount of information that we are consuming every single day. If Mm -hmm. you've got most people to be really honest about how they're spending their time, they're probably spending at least a couple of hours throughout the day on their phone, just scrolling Mm -hmm. through social media, you know. And when you think about that amount of time, that's a lot of time that people were actually spending on other things, like probably making music just idly at home or doing a jigsaw or doing some something crafty or something a little bit more creative that was not just ingesting information. And I think a lot of us are actually, we're more overwhelmed than we are busy, um, probably if we really are honest. So. Those are some things that I see as challenges amongst the musicians in my community. Um, the things that I find really inspiring about the mu- musicians in my community is just how incredibly supportive they are to each other, and that that just there was not a vehicle to give that to each other as women in the industry before. And so now, mm-hmm. because of the internet, um, it's it's easier to do that. But what I, I the way that I see this community interact is um is really special and it and it's a a space that i feel um that gives me life and gives me energy and um if i've had a bad day i honestly feel uplifted even though these these are people on the other side of facebook but it's amazing to see the power in that so that's something i find very inspiring and just the like you're saying the sheer breadth of talent experience um intelligence you know it, it's an incredible community of, of really interesting people so um that's something i really cherish
2: yeah community is so valuable you know we need to um get out of our heads and get locked into these habits um you know i i noticed that myself and other people we put off uh, those things that we don't know um yeah. Because it's too, like as you say, overwhelming to figure out how to do it. And I think it comes down to, um, with music, uh, project management and understanding those steps better. Mm-hmm. So definitely mentorship and training um, is something that we need to reach out for to get us there. So that, that brings me to your to your course now. Um, you have a wait list, I, I think, going for your training course, the Home Recording Academy. Yeah. Um can you tell us more about that program and why you decided to concentrate on a female centered approach with this?
1: Yeah, I well, I mean, obviously from my background, I've gone all the way to PhD level with sound and recording and um mm-hmm. and composition, so I mean effectively production as well. So I had noticed the whole time how um out of place I felt as a woman in that area. And I also noticed how it made me feel very shy, very unconfident, um, that I had some, you know, not very pleasant experiences sometimes, even though I'd also known some wonderful musicians of all genders in that space. So Mm -hmm. that, that was one thing I felt, well, you know, there's always this question of why are women not applying to these courses? Why are women not producing more music? Why? You know, why? Where are they? Is it because they just don't want to? And I knew that that wasn't the case. I knew that the way that those spaces were set up, the culture of them, and the way that the the art form and the craft and the information is is shared um, it, it's not set up for women. women are always in the minority when it comes to physical presence and even you know thinking behind these things so there was that um, i also I also really wanted to make something that would actually genuinely help change. I know this sounds a bit ridiculously ambitious here, but change the industry in some way. I -hmm. I was frustrated as a woman in the industry in general, like irrespective of recording and production. And When I traced back my own path, the reason why I had got into a position like I described at the top of this podcast, where for the first time ever I was making money from my music was because I'd recorded it, I would produced it, I'd released it myself. I hadn't had to wait for somebody else to do it for me. I hadn't had to compromise on my creative vision. I hadn't had to be in situations where I felt unsafe or disrespected. Um, I'd always been able to leave that because it's not like i would never experienced it, but I've always always been able to leave that because of developing those skills. And so when I was thinking, how do I make something that's going to, you know, change the industry for the better? I was like, women really need to learn how to record their music, how to produce their music so that at the very least they understand the process and they can take more control in it. And they can walk away from Mm -hmm. situations that are just not good for them. And they don't have to put up with someone basically being, you know, disrespectful and not, not a good collaborator, but at the most, maybe they can do what I've done. Maybe they can record their music, produce their music, release their music on their terms, And not feel trapped and powerless and like they're just wading through or, or, you know, stagnant. There's so many hidden women in music because they are having to wait for male gatekeepers to give them an opportunity. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I could see this kind of this gap in music technology and music technology education. But I could also see that these skills were the route for many other women to finally have a voice and finally share their music. So that's where home recording academy started mm-hmm.
2: i think you are changing the world isabel i think you are um it, it's quite um you know i am just a, a a little bit older than you and uh, i my first demos were actually on analog and it was a man's world um i had a lot of uh fortunately a lot of helpful men um uh, as always coming up, uh, but in, you rarely see female producers or women at the board. And, uh, I know that in some recording academies that they had here, um, there's maybe one or two women. And because of the competitive nature of men, it's really hard to get to be a girl twiddling the knobs and and getting your chance because you, yeah, we're like conditioned for collaboration rather than competition in a sense. And, uh, so it's, I think it's extremely important work that you're doing. And uh, I'm so grateful that you've uh, taken the time to to explain um, a lot of what you're, you're offering to everybody.
1: Uh, just to be clear as well, you know, it really informs how I've designed the course. So obviously, I'm teaching all the fundamentals of recording, production, mixing, you know, all of that stuff. But we start the course with looking at what might be the music tech mindset blocks that have held you back so far that's something that they would never put into a music technology course that where they presume that everyone that's turning up is basically going to be a bloke but i I really specifically look at you know what might be going on already that stopped you what other things what are some of the experiences you've had that may be making you a bit scared about engaging with this. And also I really draw on the kind of more conceptual creative side of production because I know that so many women are genuinely interested in that and really, really good at that. So, um, so I and I and I actually get a lot of men ask and, and people of different genders ask me if they can join because they want to experience a music tech course that is has that it's core. Cool, it has the artistry, that craftsmanship, that creativity, that intuition. At its core, rather than just a manual of how to use logic or get GarageBand or Pro Tools. That's not interesting to me. I'm interested in how you make incredible ideas come to life through production tools. It
2: sounds incredibly fulsome, a totally holistic approach. And, uh, oh, I just love that. I just love that. I'm going to start to wrap it up here because uh, I could probably talk to you uh, all night about the many facets of, of what you do and, and how dynamic this course is. Maybe if you could please remind our listeners the best way to find you online so they could uh, dig deeper into this.
1: Yeah, so definitely go to femalediymusician.com. Um, if you want to take the quiz, the which vocal mic is right for you, it's femalediymusician.com forward slash quiz. And if you want to find out more about Home Recording Academy, it's female com forward slash waitlist. And that it's got everything on there. And I'm on Instagram at FemDiyMusician. And you'll see me doing lots of ridiculous reels and making an yeah. absolute <laughs> hit of myself, um, all in the name of getting more women to start recording production.
2: <laughs> You're a fabulous dancer. I yeah. Have to say. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> fabulous. You know, Isabel, your dedication to the arts and sharing your valuable knowledge in music is is incredibly inspiring to me and I'm so grateful for your time here today. All right. Thank you so much, Isabel. I hope we can
0: have you back soon.
1: Yes, that'd be wonderful.
0: You've been listening to Veronica starts blogcast. Please subscribe, click the bell for updates, and if you're still so inclined, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic in the comments, or you can send an email to veronica at soulseniorcoach.com. Remember, life is hard, sing anyway.